from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. Ben Grant joined as always by JB and we've got a massive show for you today and another football game to preview. If you're looking to follow us on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Ben double underscore Grant. You can follow JB at X's and Argos JB and you can follow the show at X's and Argos all on Twitter. Coming up today, we've got some injury updates for some key players like Chad Kelly, Curly Gittens Jr., Robert Priester, Sean Oakman. Plus, we had a chance to see the new uniforms in person. JB and I will tell you what we thought of them and if it changed our opinions of them. Uh, I want to talk to you briefly about a flag football clinic the Argos ran over this past weekend. Plus, the Argos held a pretty big press conference last week. And a number of announcements were made related to this season being the 150th anniversary season. So we'll get to that. And then as we transition to this week's exhibition game against the Ottawa Red Blacks, we've got players to watch. We've got OCDC, one thing, and predictions, all that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Before we get started, JB, I want to tell you a little bit more about Something in the Water Brewing, our title sponsor. I got something different on the go today. This is Juno Sparkling Peach and Papaya Iced Tea. And I want to tell you the story about how I was introduced to this because this is another fantastic beverage and this is a non-alcoholic beverage. And so when I went down to Something in the Water, I was talking to Steve and, and he was sort of showing me around the place and showing me some of the, the different uh, beer they have and what they were brewing. And we got to some of the non-alcoholic beer. And I think I must have made a face because he said, look, I, I, I know what you're thinking. Trust me. And I'm really glad I did because, because he was right. I've tried non-alcoholic beer and non-alcoholic beverages from, from other brewers and, and beer companies. I just, it's just not really my thing. He gave me a bunch of different assortments to try. And this is the only one I'm talking about today. But they completely changed my mind. And I can tell you, like my wife too, when she, she saw me drinking one of these, she came over sort of, you know, eyebrow raised, assuming I was drinking beer, looked at it. And then picked up the can, looked at the ingredients list, and she's like, this should actually be really good. And she tried it and said, this is really good. And I'm in full agreement. This is a nice one. Uh, super refreshing. Uh, and, you know, in partnership with a, with a tea company, this is legit. So the ingredients are top notch. Uh, yeah, this is a nice, nice go-to if you're looking for something non-alcoholic. Juno sparkling peach and papaya iced tea. All right, JB, let's get into some football. So... Injury updates, some big ones here. We, we don't have full like in-season updates where we have questionable, probable uh, guys that didn't practice. There are no lists like that being generated, but Mike Hogan put out some information on the Argos website that I thought was really helpful for us. So first of all, and perhaps most importantly, Chad Kelly, we saw that on uh, Saturday for the game, he was expected to play, didn't play at all. He was held out due to elbow tightness. It looks like that was probably pretty minor and just overly cautious because he didn't seem limited at all at practice on Monday. And in fact, in the very first rep of, of uh, Skelly, ended up throwing a deep touchdown bomb. So I, I think his elbow is feeling fine. Given that report, I would expect we'll see Chad Kelly run at least a couple of series 
on Thursday. So, JB, that's is that surprising to you that they had him out Monday, or did you expect to see him out right away? Well, no, I, I took the coach at his word. They they didn't seem that worried about it. Uh, I don't think they were that worried about him playing on the road in Hamilton. So it was probably an easy an easy decision to sit him down. So that's good to hear. But that yeah, that was definitely the vibe that we got that it was not a big deal. Yeah, and I just don't know. Like I, I, I was just nervous because it's sometimes coaches believe that after the game and then go in and talk further with medical staff and then find out that there's more details or what have you. But yeah, that seems to have been it seems to have been exactly what he said. Just you know, we're being really cautious here. But I expect him to to play on Thursday. And then the second biggest one is Curly Gittens Jr. So we found out first of all it was a shoulder injury. And Coach did what he did tell us that he could have gone back into the game, he believed, if if it was an important game, sat him out. And uh, while, you know, while Curly probably isn't going to play this Thursday, they made it clear he could. But I think that's that's probably the right decision. Would you rest Curly this week, given what happened last oh week? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think you put him in bubble wrap and, uh, you know, you work on he and, and, and Chad getting... Uh, you know, a connection or or a feel for each other in practice. Yeah, definitely. You don't you don't tempt the fates there. And Robert Priester, the other injury that looked at the time to be pretty serious. Anytime it's a leg injury, you always fear the worst. Especially you know, anytime you're you're not sure if it's knee or ankle, uh, you, not much good happens down there when a player goes down. And so, uh, it seems to be some good news. We don't have an official word on it, but. He was at practice, which actually means something, in my opinion, because we've seen this happen a lot. Anytime a player suffers what is typically a major injury, you don't usually see them at practice at all. So he wasn't practicing, but to be at practice usually tells you that this is something that is, you know, this isn't something that is going to go on for a long time or require surgery or where he's going to be out. Because typically in those cases, they don't actually come out to practice because you're potentially putting yourself uh, more in harm's way. And so I'm reading into it a little bit, but I like to think of that as a pretty positive sign for Robert Priester, who I think is going to be a pretty important piece going forward. And then another positive development was Sean Oakman for the first time this season practicing in a helmet and shoulder pads. He's been out there. He's been out there, you know, getting in work, but not participating in those reps, not with his helmet, not with his shoulder pads. He hasn't been full go like everyone else. So to have him out there too, uh, strapping it on, I think is uh, a pretty good sign because is, is he the most important piece in that, in that front seven? Like, do you, do you see him as the most important guy in that unit? Um. Hmm. No, I don't. I think he is a valuable part of the team. I, I don't think he's a game changer on that level. Like that, he is a valuable part of the team for sure. Like, but I, but I don't, I don't see it being. And you know, it's hard to say. Like, it's it's like he is good and he is valuable, but not. I don't. I don't think I would. I would. I don't think he's not. I don't think that they can't replace him if they had to. The reason I do think he's, I don't, I, I don't know, I think I'm probably with you that he's not the most, val- there's, so, there's so many guys and and we don't even know what we're going to yeah, get like, from that's what I mean. Like, I, look, obviously I think he's great, but I don't think he, you know, he's not Mwamba or McManus or or some of the other players where like they're, they're just, you know, that's a huge issue if they are down. 
The reason I do put Sean Oakman in that conversation is because while it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, he does things, or rather he allows Coach Mace to do things that he couldn't otherwise do. You know, that three-man rush that they send in with such confidence, it doesn't result in sacks, but it allows you to, to be able to, like, anytime you can drop nine defenders into coverage on a second and ten, good things are going to happen for your defense. And those three, because of Oakman, are eventually going to get home. We saw some three-man rush situations last year where Oakman's like throwing guys out of the way like Thor in a Marvel movie and and he eventually got to the quarterback. So I don't think you I don't think he runs that with as much confidence if Oakman's not in the middle taking up multiple blockers. And I, I think overall, when you're looking at the injury situation for the Argos, they've been very cautious. I like Coach Dinwiddie's approach, which is a very modern coach's approach. We've seen a few NFL teams uh, run this sort of style where they're not uh, going through those old school contact drills, um, putting in reps the same way that coaches used to do in the in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And Coach Dinwiddie, he knows he's had the last two seasons. There have been so many injuries for the Argos. And I think he has changed it up a little bit this year. That's my observation, where they're just being overly cautious. Someone's a little sore. You know what? Sit it out. That's okay. Get your mental reps in and we know you'll be there when when we need you. And I, I think I think that's something like some of the guys that we haven't really seen on the field yet. I think we probably will start to see those guys getting more action soon. Guys like Sean Oakman. JB, we got to see the uniforms in person. I want your initial reaction, uh, better or worse than what you thought they were going to be, having seen the promotional pictures, the videos, everything else. We see them live in Hamilton, and then only the blue combination. So the Cambridge blue jerseys with the Cambridge blue pants. What were your thoughts? Well, yeah, I liked them. I, I mean, I think they look a lot like the Blue Jay uniforms, to be honest. Um, when you see them up front, they, they look like the Blue Jay uh, baby blue. Um, but I, I liked them. I thought they looked good. I, the My only complaint is I I had a hard time. I mean, look, I've got some probably some eye doctor delays that I need to take care of as well. But I did have a hard time picking up the numbers on the uniforms, the 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 outline, uh, the the numbers just didn't pop off the uniform for me. So that would be that would be my only quibble with it is, um, you know, but I don't think most people are, are very concerned with it. I thought they looked good. Yeah, I actually thought they looked better than they did in the promotional stuff. I, I preferred them in person to what we'd seen previously. And I will say, um, I'm not, I don't like, and I, I talked about this before, I don't like matching jersey with pants. I realize that's a me problem. Most people actually quite like that combo. It's just I'm I'm an old man. And on that same uh, topic, like you, my eyes aren't the best. I had trouble picking up those numbers too, but that's also the furthest away you get from a CFL field. The press box in Hamilton, we love it because we love the height that you're at. You're looking almost straight down on top of the field. There's no other stadium in the CFL that has a press box that far away from the jersey numbers. So I think we're going to find it for the rest of the season, and especially at BMO. They're not, that's probably not going to be a problem. I also think it's probably going to be easier for night games, which the Argos almost exclusively play this year. So it's probably not going to be a problem going forward. But I did notice it was a little tougher than last year's to pick up that uniform number. And Three Down Nation ran an article that I was involved in a little bit, uh, came out today, ranking all 24 
CFL uniform combos. And the Argos did not do well on this list. And I'm I'm partially responsible because, like I said, I, I didn't have the Argos near the top because I just don't like the uniform jersey and pants. And I voted the same way with that black and black BC Lions look, the gray and gray BC Lions look, the black and black Hamilton. I don't like it. Uh, the blue and blue Alouettes, those were all near the bottom for me because I want contrast. And so that's how I voted it. But it was a pretty fair poll. They had all the contributors voting on this. The the, the Argos Road Whites came 22 out of 24, which is not great. And the Home Blue was 20 out of 24. I think I had them a little higher than that. Uh, But I think now having seen them live, I think when we see the Road Whites live as well, I think these are probably going to go up in most people's view. Uh, JB, what, your comments on on best and worst uniforms? I know you're you're not as into this as I get. <laughs> um, I I think it's hard. I think there are some great uniforms. I think the Elks is a gorgeous uniform. I think the Winnipeg uh, home uniform is great. I like the Stampeder uniform, but after that, BC I hate with their Halloween orange. Uh, Montreal and Ottawa just couldn't be more boring. They just looked like page 72 out of the Under Armour catalog. Um, so, you know, I, I guess that's where I come down at. There's a couple I really love, and then there's a couple that I think are just not even worth debating because they're just generic. I thought it was funny that Winnipeg had both the number one and the number 24 uniform, the, the best and worst. The worst they had was the one, their alternate, that just has the big W on the front which I hate because you can't see you can't see number on the front that that, that just drives me up the wall and the number 1 was their home jersey the one you mentioned the the yeah, blue like with the gold like that's gorgeous and I, and I love the green and yellow of Edmonton but other than that you know I don't know I I I think it's all pretty I, I it's hard I would have a hard time ranking ranking oh this uniform is all green which is better than the all blue it's like all right yeah, but the combos, some of those classic combos are nice. But I do think the Argos have the nicest helmet in the league. I stand by that. And the uniforms are certainly growing on me. And you like them from the get-go, so we can't really complain as a, as a podcast. On Sunday, the Argos held a flag football clinic. And I had a chance to go to this as a parent. I wasn't covering this event. My, both of my kids play flag football. They really wanted to go to this. I signed them up and I decided, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything media related. I'm just going to go down there as a parent and let my kids enjoy this. And after I knew that I had to say something because I know that the team has been, I think, unfairly treated with the, their involvement in kids programming, visiting schools, uh, participation in flag football and similar events. And they do stuff like this that doesn't get a lot of attention. And this event was run so well. At the end of it, I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to put something out there. And so I did tweet about this after the fact and just how good a job they did. So is that MLSE Launchpad um, on Jarvis and that's, first of all that's a great facility and so they had the kids uh, with all sorts of um, coaches who are young enthusiastic um, football coaches uh, getting them excited getting them involved and you had such a wide range of skill sets too nobody felt left out 
They also not only was this a, a three-hour football clinic. They threw in some rock climbing because, of course, they've got they've got rock climbing facilities there too. They got to meet Enoch, which was a thrill for the kids. And then Jason Calero, uh, the team's community education and program specialist, was there. He was showing off the six different Argos Grey Cup rings that he had. The kids were amazed by those. Of course, they love that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, all in all, it was an amazing event. They got a football, got a T-shirt from it, and so I just wanted to applaud the Argos for that. Effort. It was just so well done. And those those kids, all those kids are Argos fans for life. I'm telling you, seeing their faces, seeing them leaving that event, uh, that's that's the way to do it. So yeah, uh, kudos to the Argos for putting that together. And, and JB, speaking of uh, seeing Jason Calero there, it reminded me, we had, you and I had what I thought was one of the funniest things happen. We were at a safe contact coaching clinic that was run by the Argos and Jason Calero was there and he brought along with them James Wilder Jr. and Sean Lemon. This is a few years ago, obviously. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a great clinic. We we learned a lot, had a good time. But at the end of it, the, the guy running the clinic uh, said, and not jokingly, said, uh, you know, folks, I just want to thank uh, Jason and the Argonauts. And you and I immediately burst out laughing, but nobody else in the room laughed at all jb i still don't know to this day why nobody laughed but us <laughs> i don't i don't know how many uh i don't know how many, what yeah what uh, what subjects the other coaches teach but it, it didn't seem to be english or drama yeah something uh with maybe a little bit more history or something but yeah jason jason well, and well, the I, think, I think something was... more that rhymes with like uh with ed <laughs> jason and the argonauts uh i thought I thought was I thought was the best thing ever. Yeah, nobody, I, I, I mean, nobody flinched. My takeaway, I mean, that was pretty funny. My my takeaway from that was uh, was Wilder trying to teach how to get your head across. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Safe, well, at a safe contact clinic. Well, because it was such a, like that's such it was such an interesting time. This is how many years? This is twenty seventeen, I think, and yeah. we're sort of in the beginning of teaching safe contact, and so um, you know, for high school age players, they're learning stuff that you just weren't seeing a lot in professional football because it. While it was a safer way to tackle, it wasn't necessarily what people were doing at the time. It wasn't that hasn't really started to didn't really start to come into football until a couple of years after that. And so the high school programs tended to be ahead of the pros in terms of of safe play. But yeah, it's funny seeing seeing players you know talk about uh, safe conduct when you you turn on the games and it's not necessarily what's on TV on on uh, NFL or CFL football. So yeah, that was a pretty interesting takeaway. The press conference that the uh, Toronto Argonauts held at the Argonauts Rowing Club was was pretty cool. This was done last week on Friday. Uh, first of all, I love that they have it at the Argonauts Rowing Club because of the history, the ties there. And I think probably anyone listening to the podcast knows that. If you don't, you got to Google it and look it up because the, the Toronto Argonauts as a football team were born out of uh, the rowing club looking for some conditioning to do in their off season. They're like, hey, why don't we try this new sport? Um, you know, we're talking 150 years ago. This is the 150th anniversary of the team. So it's perfect that they held it there. And at the rowing club, they've got all sorts of old um, memorabilia and photos and stuff like that, too. But a lot of announcements came out of that. So first, the 150th anniversary logo, which uh, is is everywhere now, and it's going to follow the team around. It's not only not only do they have it on the uniform, but they have it uh, with all of their all of their press material. You're going to see it everywhere. It's sort of an old sailing ship with 150 written across the sails. Uh, the, and it's the, the sort of black and white logo, which which looks pretty sharp. 
Um, they also announced that they'd be counting down the top 150 moments in Argo's history. This one's a huge one, and I want to tip my hat to the people involved in this. So this is Mike Hogan and Danny Webb from the Argos, but they also uh, recruited uh, Don Landry, um, radio celebrity and former announcer for the Toronto Argonauts. I love Don Landry, and, and he knows the Argos inside and out too. And they very smartly got historians James Fraser and Paul Woods, both guys I, I couldn't think more highly of Paul Woods every time I say his name I, I feel like I have to promote his books which are just behind me here if you're watching on YouTube they're such fantastic reads I know we're off topic by Paul Woods's books Bouncing Back and uh, and Year of the Rocket both amazing reads but yeah Paul Woods James Fraser they know the team's history so well so between those guys they were somehow able to count down the top 150 moments in Argos history. I have no idea how they did that. I, you know, we, we count down the top 50 plays in one year, and that's hard enough. Trying to go back for 150 years and find the top moments, again, hats off. I'm excited to see that get released throughout the season. The other big one, JB, I think you're probably just as, as excited as I am about this. The home opener, July 18th, against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, we found out that the team is going to be giving away 15,000 replica Grey Cup rings, the first 15,000 fans in. That's that's not just like a 2,000-item giveaway. 15,000 of these rings. Uh, that This is one of the coolest giveaways I think the Argos have ever done. Yeah, I mean, I um, yeah, it's fun. I, I like it. it, it it's a fun little stage piece for for kids to like and have around and i'm all for it i I wish they had a giveaway every game i do like the giveaways i i like that cowboy hat giveaway they had a few years ago that's and the lunchbox giveaway my kids still use those lunchboxes the sj green lunchboxes they've had some really nice ones i'd love to see them give away a miniature gray cup that would be my just the wish. little gray cups yeah and they they have those available for purchase you can find those like they have them on the online store like these little gray cups that you can that you can purchase okay. if you're interested in that uh, yeah you I, can I will, I will investigate that yeah um but i i like i like rings you know i've got i've got a bunch of rings on display behind me here i love championship rings um this you know for i i prefer to earn them i don't like to collect uh souvenir gray cup rings but i think this is a pretty cool one and i think I think most uh, most fans will be pretty excited to get one of these replica rings. The last announcement that I want to talk about that they made was adding two Argos to the all-time Argos list, which is every time I see those banners at BMO, it's such an impressive list. These guys, no question, they belong on it. Damon Allen, Daryl Mookie Mitchell, both those guys are all over the stat sheet. For Damon Allen, you know, to, to have been here for, for all those years in the early 2000s, to have, you know, he's on, you see him in the stat sheet for, for passing yards. You see him there for all-time all time passing yards, all-time touchdowns. He's, he's all over the place. That absolutely makes sense. And Daryl Mookie Mitchell is, is he the best receiver of all time for the Argos? I think probably Terry Greer, some people might argue, but... I think he's got to be up there for me all time, all time uh, in receiving yardage. I, it's sort of surprising that that he hadn't previously been added, I guess. So I like both of those guys up there. These are these are both hits, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, I think they're both overdue. Um, there's no there's no debate to either. Um, it, it, you know, it's been a while since they'd added somebody. I'm, I'm glad they didn't, you know, didn't just give up on it. 
um yeah it makes sense that uh you know and um i'm glad they're getting their due yeah for sure Let's transition to the football game. It's this week. It's in Guelph at Alumni Stadium. I love that venue for a CFL exhibition game. It's because it's such a it's such a compact stadium. You're right on top of the action. Man, it's fun to watch football there. I'm excited about this one, even though it's just an exhibition game. JB, let's talk about some of the players that we're going to look for here, because unlike regular season games, we're going to be previewing this game a little bit differently. We'll still have our same segments, but the angle is slightly different because we're looking at evaluation. So why don't you talk about a couple of players that you are interested in watching in this one? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to pick some new people. Um, both are actually offensive for me. Um, one is not much of a deep cut at all. I'm really curious to see Chad Kelly. Uh, you know, this will be his first time as the starting quarterback of the Argos. Uh, I wonder how much run they give him, whether they just run. My guess is they probably run him out for a quarter rather than just a couple uh, of, uh, of, uh, of possessions. But uh, I love, you know, I'm curious, curious to see, you know, how he, you know, his, his dropbacks, how settled his feet are, his reads, um, how much he scrambles, what, who, who does he seem to have, uh, connection with receiver-wise, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that we get a full quarter of Chad Kelly and and have something to uh, to make vast uh, overestimations about. Yeah, I, I I hope we see him for a quarter too because I have to imagine we know that he was supposed to play two series last week. I have to imagine the plan was two series last week and probably half a quarter this week because. He doesn't have a lot of CFL experience. We know that. We've we've been hearing about that for the last year. They really need to get him in some game action. And so having lost that opportunity last week in Hamilton, I do think he's got to play some some serious time. You want him running several possessions, I think. So Yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping for I'm hoping for a quarter cuz he didn't play it all last week. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. My my other one is uh, as I like to call him future all-star Rajay Johnson. Um You love this guy. I do. I think he is if you look at his his measurables, uh, some debate whether he's six four or six two. Um, he's probably somewhere in between in the world of uh, football measurements. Um, he, he's not a blazer, you know. His forty time was four eight five, but that's why he's not in the NFL. His three cone time was comparable to top NFL prospects. His shuttle time, same. Um, his vertical. Puts him right in the percentile of first and second round picks. Uh, so he is an elite athlete. Uh, I, we saw him track down that ball in the air, which was much harder than it looks. I think he can be a fantastic possession receiver for the Argos. I think he he brings uh, a red zone size. You know, we don't use tight ends really in the CFL, but he kind of brings that box out uh, skill set to the red zone. Uh, I, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be a player. I mean, we'll see. I hope. I hope he gets a run out uh, with uh, Kelly, because I think he has the potential to be a, a really nice CFL receiver. Yeah, Roger Johnson. And can you talk just a little uh, briefly? Because this is not the, the topic here. But why is it? Because you and I are on the same page with this. But what is it you like about three cone and vertical that makes you maybe dismiss forty time? Yeah, like the, I mean, the forty time is. I mean, you know, obviously, if you're a burner, 
um, it's useful as a wide receiver to to have a sense of you know outrunning defensive backs. But most wide receiver play is about change of direction, uh, about kind of quick chit, quick twitch um, shift, and uh, you know being able to pivot and being able to get up to speed quickly. And his his three cone and his shuttle uh, are both strong much stronger than his 40 would suggest especially for his size yeah that's exactly it like when i was looking at the combine stuff you know really he's he's bigger than most receivers most receivers now are kind of built like track stars they're all 510 and 185 pounds um he is kind of an old school you know he's built more like andre johnson than um than you know some of the more modern wide receivers um but yeah, the the quickness there is 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 you know I think the forty time would be misleading. I think he can, I think he can lose defenders in space. And that play you talked about, the touchdown pass, it was a corner route that Cam Dukes threw him, and it was so Dukes had to Dukes had to be careful with this ball. He had to throw it offline. So so you got Rajay Johnson running a corner route, but. He couldn't throw it true, like exactly to the spot that Johnson was going to, because there was a there was a flats defender who had actually started peeling off his guy and he would have picked it if we were actually on a line. And so Dukes intelligently saw that and led Rajay Johnson upfield. And that's a really tough ball to adjust to because he's running his corner. route. He's got to see it right off the quarterback's hand and sort of fade back into it and be mindful of the back of the end zone. And he caught it like right at the back of the end zone. So it was great field awareness, great tracking ability and ball skill to be able to bring in a, a difficult catch. So yeah, I was impressed with him too. But yeah, I know you've, you've liked him from the beginning. So he'll be a guy to watch. And that transitions into one of the guys that I want to watch. It's another American receiver. BJ Bird, who had an incredible game in Hamilton on Saturday with a couple of touchdown receptions. He had one where he just undressed the Hamilton defender. He caught it at about the five yard line, looked like he was going to make a move to the inside. And I, I couldn't I couldn't zoom in enough, even on the replay of this uh, on social media. And I, I did, I think I retweeted this, that play that the Argos tweeted out. You can take a look at it on, on my Twitter feed. Um, trying to zoom in and see what he did. I can't quite tell, but there must have been a subtle little shift to the inside because the Hamilton defender just like falls over and Bird walks into the end zone. He also made another spectacular catch for the, the other touchdown. He's he's someone to watch, but the thing is you can't keep all these American receivers. So you got Rajay Johnson, who you talked about. We got BJ Bird, who I'm talking about. But what about Demonte Coxie, Jeremiah Hadell, Lonnie Moore the Fourth, who looked like one of the best receivers that that we'd seen this year in the double blue scrimmage, wasn't as nearly as visible in Hamilton. And what about uh, Cam Phillips? I forgot about Cam Phillips. All those American players, how many of those guys are you going to keep? Because we're obviously you're keeping uh, Devaris Daniels, Markeith Ambles, you're keeping those other guys, but. You can't have all of Johnson, Bird, Coxie, Hadell, Moore, Phillips. You probably have two of those guys. So who's not going to make it? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but it, a lot of it is going to be determined by what happens this Thursday. So I want to see BJ Bird step up along with the rest of these guys and really challenge the coaches to make a decision to make this team better. The other guy I want to talk about is Deonta McMahon. Uh, you were surprised he got into the game last week. Can you expand on that a little bit before I go into what I'm excited about seeing? Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think why. 
Well, I think you were I think you were thinking that the Argos might have tried not to really show him off. Because they're <laughs> well, you're, obviously you're gonna... definitely more excited than I am for him. That's why I had a moment of pause. Okay. <laughs> I know that you call him your special man. <laughs> My special um, man. Uh yeah, I, I I I I guess you know, going on your excitement, um I did think that they might try to to sneak him through, but uh you know, obviously they're gonna roll it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see. We talked about that. I'd love to see him. Uh, I'd love to see him go with the ones because he definitely will not sneak through now. Like I don't know if that was there. I don't know if they could have snuck him through, but certainly the moment they put him on the field, that was that dream was over. He's enough of a high profile guy, even though he went to McNeese. People knew about him. Like I remember, I remember hoping uh, going back like to the NFL draft. I was hoping that my Cincinnati Bengals picked him up. Um, I was thinking that he might be a nice uh, seventh round addition. They ended up uh, drafting Chase Brown. And so running back became less of a thing. But but he was a guy that I thought had incredible highlights. So it's not like the other CFL teams don't know who he is. They're fully aware of who he was. So I think probably the team decided, look, he's someone's going to probably pick him up if we don't take him. So we better see what he can actually do. And that's why they had him in the game. And he looked like I thought he would look, but actually better because... I thought he was going to bounce to the outside because when you see his highlights, that's mostly what happened. He didn't at all. He took the middle of the field and he found ways to make yardage up the field. Seven yard carry, nine yard carry, nine yard carry with really not too much in the way of a hole there. And so we've talked about loving to have a change of pace guy to complement the pounding of Harris and Olette. I I think I think I think Javon Leak is is on notice here. I think he's got to have a good game too because I think Deontay McMahon showed more out of the backfield than than Leak has at times. I think Leak though is their best returner. I don't think there's much question about that. So again, a nice day from Deontay McMahon puts the Argos as a team in a great position where the coaches are having to make a really tough decision. So, yeah, those are guys yeah. I can't wait to see. Yeah, if he if he is a returning kicks in the game, I think that's uh, that's not great news for Leak. But JB, I don't I don't, th- I don't think he's going to be able to push Leak out in we'll see. I mean, he tried one, he d- it did not look very natural for him, so I I think Leak is pretty safe. Yeah, I think you're going to be on the Deonta McMahon train before mm-hmm. the end of Thursday. I think we'll see in our post game in our uh, uh, post game reaction podcast. I think you will be uh, singing praises and uh, and uh, songs about uh, Deonta McMahon. Perfect. Okay, well, let's see. It is time for OCDC. <laughs> OCDC is brought to you by The Business Barbershop and Spa. The Business Barbershop and Spa invites you to experience Etobicoke's premier licensed men's grooming lounge for hair, face, and body care. They're celebrating 10 years in the Kingsway, and they've got a deal on right now for all of our listeners. For the first 50 clients who book a service, they'll be entered into a draw to win a $200 gift card. All you got to do is mention Argo's all about the business when you make your reservation. So you need a haircut, you want to shave, uh, you want to get a scalp massage like I had last time I got a haircut. It's fantastic. This is the place you want to go. I'm telling you, next time you need a haircut, this is this is a this is a barbershop that sponsors sponsors a CFL podcast. Do yourself a favor as a CFL fan, as an Argo's fan, book 
your hair appointment there. Trust me, you won't regret it. And uh, yeah, make sure you mention Argo's All About the Business because that's how you get entered in to win the $200 gift card, mentioning Argo's All About the Business. Let's get into OCDC, JB. This, uh, this one's another tough one because we're not previewing a regular season game. Why don't I start it off this week talking about the Red Blacks offense and what I think they're going to do. So this one is a really delicate one because just going back to, and I want to look up what, what Coach Dice said uh, from Ottawa this week. He said something about Jeremiah Masoli that made me raise an eyebrow. I had assumed this whole time that Jeremiah Masoli would be ready to go week one, and, and maybe he will be. But Bob Dice said this week, when he was asked about Masoli's status for the start of the season, he said, I don't like to put limitations on things. I'm not saying he won't be ready for week one. I'm not going to put a limitation on it. I'd be ecstatic if Jeremiah was ready. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. To me, that sounds like a coach that's not expecting Jeremiah Masoli to be ready week one. And so if that is the situation, I think you've got to go in offensively with a very different plan than you might normally. Because if Nick Arbuckle is going to be your guy starting week one, then you have to do something to get him some confidence. The Red Blacks lost their preseason opener at home in in a really Red Blacks way to a, a pretty bad Montreal team, I think. And I think you've got to you've got to have Nick Arbuckle leaving this game feeling good about himself. So my plan is going to be you're going to give Nick Arbuckle really simple reads. You're going to give him some RPOs. We know from his time in Toronto, he loved that. He thrives in that environment. Just having one player to read. If he comes in, I pull it. If he bails out, I give it. Have him do a few of those. Some nice one-yard reads to the sidelines, some flood routes. And I wouldn't have him in there too long. Arbuckle's an experienced quarterback. He's been in the league for a long time now. Have him make four or five passes, complete three or four of them, bring him to the sideline, send in everyone else. And the game plan from a passing standpoint is just going to be short high percentage completions. I want to see all hooks. I want to see floods to the boundary, maybe on a rollout. And I want to see RPOs. That's as simple as you can get for Nick Arbuckle, but that's exactly what I think Ottawa should be doing in this game. JB, what is your defensive plan for the Ottawa Red Blacks? Uh, If I'm Ottawa, I think I'm probably most interested in um, trying uh, trying to stop the running game. The, the passing game is is going to be, you know, hard to, you're not going to scheme that much. I don't know how much of a look you get. I don't even know how many ones and twos you see in the wide receiver unit, quarterback unit. Um, so you're not, you're not really gaining any useful data from the past, but, you know, stopping the run is still stopping the run. It's still, it's still being in position. It's still accelerating and tackling. It's still, uh, getting off blocks and so you can actually measure that even ones two threes you're, you're still getting a look at at who is able to hold their block who's able to get off their block who fills a hole who makes a good tackle um, so I would concentrate on that I would concentrate on just taking away any running game at all that Toronto has and for the passing stuff I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be concerned at all really just play cover two and if they make passes, you know, good for them and uh, and not think twice about it because it, it really, <laughs> you know, they want to win for sure because they, they're in a different place than Toronto, but 
if I were the defensive coordinator, that would be my plan. My plan would be I want to see linebackers. I want to see defensive linemen. That's what I want to focus on. Uh, maybe maybe send the occasional blitz in the first quarter, not in the third. That's about it. For my offensive plan for the Toronto Argonauts, there's two phases to this. One is entirely geared towards Chad Kelly. And then once he's out of the game, I think you shift to your plan two. So offensively for Chad Kelly, I think you actually want to put him in non-traditional preseason situations because you want to accelerate the growth and the film study that he's going to be able to do from his own play based off of probably not very much time. Like we're talking about a quarter, maybe at most. So what I mean by that, I want you to put him in situations where he's got full field concepts, not half field concepts, where you're really forcing him to to do the difficult things. So uh, as opposed to what I had with Nick Arbuck, where I want it to be simple, where he's watching one or two guys or he's got one read or, or, uh, or you know, handoff or, or throw to your hot, um, to, your, to your glance route or whatever. I don't want that at all with Chad Kelly. So I want him in situations where he's got check with me's, where he's got two plays in the huddle and he reads the defense and actually calls that out. So it's going to involve the Argos showing way more than I'm typically a fan of in preseason. Usually I want preseason to be all vanilla, but the Argos have the first week by. And so they've already got an advantage on their week two opponent, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, because they're going to get to see a full game of what Hamilton does. I think showing a little bit in one quarter here of what you've got is okay. And I think it's worth what you're going to get in return for having Chad Kelly take in those experiences. So I want to see difficult concept reads. I want to see high low reads. I want to see I want to see him on the run. I want to see him roll out and have to make throws on the run. I want to see a, a, a couple deep balls mixed in there. And I want to see those pre-snap decisions that he's got to make. But all difficult things that are going to really challenge him the way he'll be challenged in the regular season. So that's my first plan. Now, once Chad Kelly comes out of the game, now I think some of those players that we highlighted, now we've got to see decisions for them. So we're evaluating guys like, like Lonnie Moore, like Rajay Johnson. Let's see these guys run read routes. Let's see some difficult decisions they've got to make where based on what defenders are doing, their route is going to change. So uh, the defensive coverage dictates their route. And, and decisions like that, let's see what they're... Let's see what their instincts are like. Let's see how quickly they read what the defenders are doing. And then let's see what they do with the ball in their hands uh, after the catch. But you have to script it with some of these players in mind because the worst thing that can happen on Thursday, uh, injuries and things aside, the worst thing that can happen is at the end of Thursday's game, you don't know the answer to the question, who are we keeping at receiver? Who are we keeping on the offensive line? Who are we keeping at defensive back? You need to answer those questions. So you've got to force those situations. So for receivers, it's read routes. For offensive line, we're going to have to see those again a range of run plays we're gonna have to see guys pulling we're gonna have to see zone blocking gap blocking because you need to be able to assess all of these guys so that at the end of Thursday you can go in with confidence and say these are the guys we have to keep these are the guys we want on the practice squad and these are the guys we're wishing the best of luck as they as they continue their football career elsewhere. JB where are you going for the uh, Toronto Argonauts defense? I mean, this is probably not realistic, but I do think if I if I were the Toronto defensive coordinator, I would want to see a much better game out of my secondary. Uh, way too many busts in the Hamilton game. Um, so whether you're going to move 
uh, people in and out of um, you know formations, and you want them maybe to react to to triggers that changes what they're what coverage they're running. Maybe you want to see a little more moving parts um, at at game speed because you definitely cannot have these forty five yard busts where there just isn't a soul anywhere near the receiver. So I, I probably would stress them a little more. I probably would run a few more different uh, coverages and have them get in and out of those coverages and sort of see what is the communication like? Who is, who do I have uh, communicating it? Are players able to understand that? Are, p- are players able to react to it? Um, so if, from a from a film point of view, I would probably be a little more complex in the secondary uh, to just to see if uh if they can be a little more polished i wonder if and i hope that we'll see the argos secondary just tighten up a little bit too because aside from the bus and we saw like you said a few of those in hamilton but i also felt like a little bit like what we saw last year they weren't really tightening up and what i mean by that is let's say we're playing cover three the way you draw up cover three, you know that, okay, this this defender's got this zone, you've got this zone, you've got this zone, we've got, um, you know, guy deep third here, deep middle, deep third over here. And it looked like they were sort of doing that. And what you want from a professional, a professional football team when you're running those coverages is not exactly how it's done on paper, but you are sort of acting as a magnet that's being drawn to the defenders nearest to you. And I found that the secondary was just leaving really big holes for the Hamilton receivers on Saturday. And so I want to see some growth there for for some of these guys where it doesn't necessarily, maybe it's not even as easy to diagnose what the coverage is a second after the snap because they are sticking like glue to the receivers running through their zones and then communicating and passing it off. So I'm hoping that, that there is that growth that we see and there's just a lot less space for the Red Blacks than there was for, for the Hamilton receivers on Saturday. It's time for one thing, JB. What is your one thing? I bet I can guess. Well, I mean, a little early in the season to have uh, for the well to have run dry, uh, but I guess I'm going to call that a preseason uh, excuse. And I would love to see a red zone running touchdown. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to hang on to that one until I see it. I I, I do think it's an area that they haven't been that proficient in. Um, and I'd love to see, I'd love to see them bang in a red zone touchdown on the ground. You need not, to be able not to a, do it. Not a quarterback keeper, running back, running back, uh, touchdown. Yeah, agreed. I think it's such an important thing in the CFL, the threat of being able to score from the five. That's what it is. It's the five yard line really that I'm talking about to be able to run the ball with your running back from the five yard line and score a touchdown. If you can do that with any kind of reliability, it opens up everything in the pass game. Uh, otherwise, it you know, we've seen like the Argos when they struggled last year. Remember the start of the season last year? They couldn't buy a rushing touchdown, and it nope. made scoring points that much more difficult. As soon as AJ Olette really started turning it on, and he had those that like four or five game streak where he seemed to get a touchdown every week in in the red zone, that opened up everything for McLeod Bethel Thompson because teams couldn't anymore just rely on the fact that we know it's got to be a pass and be looking pass first. So yeah, I would I would love to, it's an important one. You're you're repeating it, but it's a big deal and I think that's why. My one thing is I want to see a 40 yard 40 plus yard completion 
from Chad Kelly in his time playing. And the reason I want to see this is, one, I think that's good for his confidence. I think that'll be great for the team. I think that's really going to hype the guys up. I also think it will do him a world of good come the regular season. If you can get defenders afraid of the deep bomb, everything else opens up. And we saw in stretches where McLeod really had to work for his yardage last year. He had trouble completing balls downfield last year at times. That was the one criticism of McLeod Bethel Thompson that we had last year was those deep completions that weren't always there, especially early in the season. And it allows defenders to really sit in those underneath zones and it makes your job really tough as a quarterback. Even just one 40 plus yard bomb that Chad Kelly completes will help stretch out that defense it'll open up those pockets and he's got a, a rifle to be able to get it in there and and sit down Tavares Daniels sit down Marquise Ambles sit down Curly Gittens Jr. In, in those voids and get it to them in a split second and let them go for a run and so that's that's going to be key for me if they can do that I think they're in really nice shape for week one prediction time how do you think this one's going to end you were right last week you were you were really close to actually hitting the exact score uh, i was wrong i had an argos win last week uh where are you going to this week jb uh hmm. this was actually really hard because ottawa is desperate for a win they were they were desperate last week i think they're going to be more desperate i i see toronto getting out to a lead and then ottawa taking it at at the end um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have Ottawa, uh, Ottawa 28 to Toronto 24. And I don't think that's gonna happen at all. I think they were all out last week to try and win. They they wanted so badly to win. They kept their starters in forever last week because they wanted so much for their home crowd, and I wanted it for them. Just you know. Ottawa and Edmonton, I would love for them to get some wins at home this year, not against the Argonauts, but against everyone else. That's that's fine. Uh, and they just they couldn't hang on to it. But I think they were pretty much all in last week. I don't think they have that many chips left. And so I don't think you're going to see that much. I think you're going to see because I don't, I don't even know how much evaluation occurred last week because they were so busy trying to get that win. I think they've got a, a lot to do at the back end of the roster this week. So I just don't think you're going to see a lot of playing time from from starters or even sure thing backups. So I, I think this one's going to be over pretty early. I have I have Argos 27, Red Blacks 13. That's the way I see this going. And I think the Argos are going to get out to a really nice start early after falling flat and finding themselves down 17 nothing last week. I think the Argos might get up 20 to nothing in this one before the Red Blacks respond. So 27-13 for me. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough. The game again is this Thursday, Alumni Stadium in Guelph. The Toronto Argonauts host the Ottawa Red Blacks. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe!